Well, we're going to turn our attention to the Word of God. Uh, you may have noticed there's a few uh, younger people here. Uh, this is one of our family gathering Sundays when we have our grade school kids in here. We think it's really important uh, for kids to see adults, parents worshiping the Lord, uh, sitting under the teaching of the Word together. Uh, kids, hopefully you have uh, a clipboard, and if you fill that out, you will get candy if you go to the Connect desk. <laughs> the rest of you, you can try. I don't know if they'll give you candy, but you can always try. Um, so I'm glad you're here. Today we're going to be in the book of 2 Kings, kind of a standalone sermon uh, tied into our conversation with George. It's 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 24, all the way into chapter 7. Uh, the title of the sermon is just Good News, with an exclamation point. We are going to be talking about good news. Uh, you can look at it in your Bible, or the verses will be on the screen. Uh, this is a story about good news that must be shared. And one thing that I don't think we have to explain very much is that when we have good news that will impact other people, we tend to share it very readily. I mean, uh, kids, you, you can imagine if you found out at your school that a test was canceled, for example, you would be very quick to share that news with others. You would tell your classmates, stop learning, stop, stop. You don't need to know it right now. It's it's passed on. It's going to be next week or the week after. It's good news. Today, we don't have to learn anything. That is what we tend to do. When there's good news, we want to share it with the people around us. That's what we're going to see in our text today. There's very good news that must be shared. However, it begins with very bad news. The story begins with bad news for the people of God. As I said, we're back all the way back in 2 Kings. To give you, we're just going to sort of set the stage with a few verses at the beginning before we get to our points. Um, this is after King David, after King uh, Solomon, and the kingdom of Israel is in a very bad situation. So here's where we are. Verse 24 is our first verse. It says, Afterward, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. So, a few, let's figure out who we're dealing with here. The Syrians are the bad guys. They're the enemy of God's people. Samaria is actually the capital of Israel. They're, they're, the, they're the good guys. And you'll notice there it said that the Syrians came and besieged Samaria. So what that means is that their army, instead of just fighting God's people, fighting the Israelites, they surrounded the city and they waited. So here's a picture of what a siege looks like. Uh, up here at the top, this would be like most ancient cities had fortified walls. You couldn't just walk in. So they had all the gates shut. Those are the people of God, Samaria. All around, you'll see in a circle, are, is the other army, the Syrians, the bad guys. And they've decided, instead of trying to attack the city, because you, you could die, you could get hurt, they are just going to wait. And the reason they're going to wait is because when you surround a city, all the food supply is cut off. So that means the people in the city, after months and months, because they wait a long time, they begin just to starve to death. And that's what's happening for the people of God. All the good food has been eaten. They're beginning to eat some very disgusting things. Look at verse 25. And there was a great famine in Samaria. As they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver, and the fourth part of a cob of dove's dung was for five shekels of silver. So put in today's uh, money, you would work for about a month, and then you could maybe buy a donkey head to feed your family, which I don't know what part you eat of the donkey, but no part seems good. Or you could work for a week, and you could get like a shish kebab of dove poop uh, to eat. It's disgusting. That's, that's what was being eaten because all the other food was gone. But it was worse than that. It wasn't just disgusting things that they were eating. The text goes on to say that they were actually eating other people. 
which isn't just disgusting, that's wicked. It's evil, it's cannibalism. So the question we've we got to be asking is, how did things get this bad for the people of God? How, how could they resort to these kinds of things? And the answer is that the people of God had stopped following God. That they had begun to go their own way. They started worshiping other idols, other gods. They stopped trusting in him. They started listening to their evil kings. There were not kings like King David, evil kings who brought in other forms of worship. And because of that, God allowed their city to be attacked to discipline them. What God was doing here, he was giving them and giving us a very vivid picture of what happens when we stop following him and give ourselves over to sin. So that's our first point. Sin is always bad news. Sin is always bad news. The Israelites, God's people, were trapped by the evil circumstances of their own making. They were the ones who did it. They were caught up now in acts of wickedness against each other, utterly unable to save themselves, on the brink of death, it's a picture of what sin is and what sin does. It's very bad news. Now, you might be thinking, Matt, this is a family gathering, and I kind of thought it'd be like encouraging, right? We'd be talking about how God is, God is with us, right? No one could be against us, right? The promises of God are true forever. It'd be like a, like a happy sermon, right? We're, we're talking a lot about pretty evil, wicked things, a lot about the bad news. In fact, there are many people who think, you know what, we shouldn't really be talking about sin, about the, the bad news with kids when they're young. I remember one time getting a very angry email from a parent uh, who had come to our children's ministry. I was in charge of kids' ministry at the time, and their kid had gone home and was talking about sin. We had showed a video of someone trying to explain sin. It was like a cartoon with black spots, and we were explaining what it was. And he said, someone's going to have to come and explain sin to my kid. They're too young to be learning about this. He was very irate. I was trying to help him. See, he, here's the thing. He really loved his child. And he thought the best thing, the most loving thing, was just to wait on the bad news. Talk about the love of God. Talk about the promises of God. Talk about all the encouraging things. And wait till later to talk about the bad news of sin. But I, I had to disagree with him. See, I think the most loving thing that we can do is, when there's bad news, to talk about it up front. Even when people are young. So if there are some young people here who haven't heard, sin is very simply us human beings going our own way instead of God's way, disobeying the commands of God. We, we saw it first in the Garden of Eden. That's what Adam and Eve did. God said, here are some commands for you. This will be good for you. And they said, we're going to go this direction. We're not going to listen. And what you notice, if you look around at humanity, is that we've continued to do that over and over and over again, all through the generations. We are all born with sinful hearts, which means that we are... We disobey the Lord. We disobey those in authority over us. And the consequences of sin that were given to Adam and Eve remain true to this day. Death. Death forever. Separation from God. Death forever in hell. That is what comes for those who, who die in their sins. One of the greatest challenges of any human being's life is to see sin clearly. To see it for what it really is. Because the world around us will always tell us that it's not that big a deal. That sin isn't that bad of news and that we don't really have to worry too much about it. And, and the truth of the matter is that the sin in our own hearts wants to believe that. We don't want to think that it's that big a deal. In fact, a lot of the time, we think that going our own way seems a lot better. I mean, think of all the things that we do, right? We, we sneak extra screen time. We punch the people who annoy us. Seems better, frankly, they're annoying us. Why would we not respond in this, in this way? 
following God's ways can seem hard, can seem boring, which is why this story is really helpful. It's helpful because that's exactly how God's people at the time were thinking about sin. They were looking at the nations around them and they were saying, boy, they don't worship God. They don't follow all of his rules. They, they, they go their own way. Look at how strong they are. Look at the size of their army. We're going to do that. And for a while, it, it probably seemed to go pretty well until the people of God found themselves under siege by an enemy army. God wasn't with them anymore. God wasn't protecting them anymore. They ended up doing evil, wicked things to each other that they never thought they would do. That's the reality of sin. That's how it works in our lives as well. The more that we turn away from God, the easier it is to sin, the easier it is to step into greater and greater darkness. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that if we give ourselves over to sin, we're going to eat each other. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, though, that, that sin doesn't ever actually deliver what it promises. Instead of being happy, content, full, what we see here is a true picture of sin. Empty, restless, angry, hopeless. In the New Testament, we get this description of people and their sin. Here's Titus 3.3. 3. It says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, hating one another. Grown-ups, I hope you're listening. Because we also have difficulty seeing sin clearly. Many of us, in fact, are more blind spiritually than our children because we spent years giving ourselves over to habits of sin and evil. We allow ourselves to be deceived in this way. We fool ourselves into thinking this isn't going to affect us or our family or our friends. See, the emptiness and the wretchedness that's in this opening scene, it's meant to sharpen our spiritual focus so that we might see ourselves clearly. So we might see the, the devastating situation that they are in and recognize the connection that it came about because their hearts turned away from the Lord. And to see that as our hearts do the same thing, we're, we're going to end up with the same result. See, some of us have been under siege for years and we've not done anything to stop it. No repentance, no asking for help. We're just eating donkey heads every day and pretending everything's fine. Sin is always bad news. It always is, whether we see it at first or not. But praise God that there is very good news. Very good news in this story and in our lives. And our second point tells us ultimately the origin of this good news. It's Jesus. Jesus brings good news. Jesus brings very good news. Now back in our story, it's not Jesus himself. It's from God. But we're going to see the good news there and then apply it in terms of God's good news in our lives today. Let's skip ahead a little bit in the story. Chapter 7, we're going to focus in on four lepers. Here's verse 3 of chapter 7. Now, there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate, and they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. If we sit here, we also die. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. So leprosy back then was a, a, still is a skin disease, but back then it was especially bad because you were just shunned. You were pushed out of the city. Uh, normally, though, you, they could come to the city gates and they would get handouts of food. 
but because of the siege and the famine, there was no food. So these lepers, they saw uh, the, the, the dire situation they were in. If they stayed there, they would die. If they went into the city, they would die. So they thought, well, maybe we'll just go talk to the Syrian army, the enemies. Maybe they'll give us some food. Great. If not, if they kill us, well, we were going to die anyway. So they went to the city. Sorry, they went to the, the camp, and they were shocked by what they found. Total surprise. Here's verse 5. So they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight, abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing, and they went and they hid them, and they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it, and they went and hid them again. Just imagine that. Imagine the lepers creeping into the, to this camp, looking around. Where is everyone? Peeking into a tent. I mean, do you see what happened? God made them think that they were about to be attacked. So they just took off. They left like tables full of food. They left all of the treasure chests and stuff. So they came in, they started eating, filling their pockets with gold. They go off into the forest, dig a hole, go back and get more. It's like a shopping spree, right? It's, it's, it's like this abundance. It's, it's, I don't know if you've heard of this guy named Mr. Beast, if you heard of this guy. So what he does, these YouTubers, they somehow make lots of money and then they just give it away. And what this one he did, my kids told me, is that he went to a, like a shopping mall and had like a circle. And he said, anything you can fit in the circle, I will pay for it. So there's people just dragging all these things out of the shops, putting and then he'd pay for it. It was this, we love watching things like that because it's, it's this abundance. It's like more than I could ever expect, more than I could hope to have, I all of a sudden have it. I enjoy it. It's this feasting. It's amazing. This is the picture that we get. And notice what the text says here. This is not just like happenstance. This is just, they weren't just in the right place at the right time. This happened because of the work of God. Look at verse six again. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and horses, the sound of a good army, it's God who did this. God caused the Syrian army, tens of thousands of soldiers, to run for the hills because he just made them think they heard another army. It's an amazing picture of God's power and the abundance that comes from trusting in him. So listen, just like the siege is a picture of sin, this now is a picture of the good news from God. And when we step into the New Testament, we would say the good news from God is the gospel, the cross of Jesus, because in the cross of Jesus, we have an answer to all of the bad news in our lives. Jesus came and lived a life that we can never live perfectly, then went to the cross, took the penalty of sin upon himself, died even though he was innocent, then was raised to new life. And the promise that he gives is all who have faith in him will also have life forever in heaven with God. That we are forgiven, that we are redeemed, that is the good news. That is the good news that everyone needs. It's abundance through Christ, the abundance of God himself. If you know Jesus, then you already have this abundance. You know that you are wanted. You know that you are loved. You know that you are forgiven. You know that God's plans for you are true and that he promises to work every single thing in your life out for your good. It's, it's abundance beyond measure. And if you don't yet know Jesus, 
Even though there isn't a picture here with these, these lepers, I mean, they just received the grace of God. That's what it means to receive good news. But the way we respond is through repentance. It's just saying, Lord, I've been following my own ways, but I know that I need your forgiveness and I actually want to follow you. I want to honor you with my life. That's a life that is filled with abundance, filled with the good news of God. Now, the other thing we're going to see about this good news is that this good news was not meant for them simply to enjoy for themselves. That's the great thing about this story. The third point is this. Good news is meant to be shared, and we see it in the next couple of verses. Verse 9. Then they said to one another, this is the, the lepers again, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and they called the gatekeepers of the city and told them. So notice, even though they were eating and drinking, I mean, there was, there was stuff, they were not, they were feeling kind of bad. They were feeling guilty. Partly because they were worried if the king found out that they hadn't told them that he would, he would punish them. But that word punishment, uh, actually, it can be translated guilt. And so there was something in their own hearts. They were recognizing, this isn't right. We shouldn't be enjoying all of this goodness and keeping it from the people who are in trouble in the city. There was a, there was a, a sense that this was not meant just for them. It was meant to be shared. This isn't only true of the good news that they had. It applies directly to the good news of Jesus, to the gospel. The gospel was designed to be shared with as many people as possible so that all who would believe would be saved. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. He was about to go back up to heaven. He'd already been to the cross. He said, go and make disciples of all the nations. That's why George and Nicoletta, that's why they went. That's why Christians have already always gone out because we're not meant just to stay at home. We're not meant just to enjoy the good news for ourselves. We are meant to go. We're meant to tell others who don't know about the good news of Christ the abundance they can have in him. You heard George say, millions of people literally in the world who haven't really even heard the gospel, don't really understand the truth of Christ, are separated from the potential of the joy and abundance they could have. And the way that we bridge that gap is through us as a church being faithful. Romans 10 says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. If you want to know what God thinks is beautiful, it's someone who's going around in their lives looking for opportunities just to, to talk about Jesus, talk about all that he's done. I think we need to hear this as a church. In fact, I want to read a quote from Philip Ryken. He's a, a pastor and commentator on this passage. He, he's, he writes this very pointed um, statement. Here's what he says. There is something wrong with a Christian or a church for that matter who does not share the good news. It is reprehensible That means really bad, kids, bad. To stay in one's tent, counting the booty, counting the treasure, without ever going back to save the city. It's not enough to find good news. It's not enough to enjoy good news. It's not enough to celebrate good news. Good news must be shared. He's talking about evangelism. He's talking about explaining to someone the the truths of the gospel, the hope that we have. Now, my my guess is, if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, uh, you would say, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that, that is my heart for the people around me, that they would know the hope that I have in Christ. But my guess also is that that's something that we all struggle with, that it's difficult for us to actually do this regularly in, in our daily lives because we know that the people around us are not so eager to hear this good news. Most of the world is hostile to the things of God. 
They're not really interested, and so that means we're not sure what they're going to say, how they're going to respond. We might not be sure how to explain things properly. We might be worried that all of a sudden our relationships will shift or people will look at us differently. It's a challenging thing in this world. So I'm going to point out two things in this text that I think will help us. Two things that will help us to share the gospel more faithfully. Uh, They are joy and urgency. Joy and urgency. Uh, We definitely see joy in this text. Uh, The the lepers are filled with joy. I mean, they're in there. They're filling their bellies. They feel satisfied. They feel just amazed. They're filled with wonder at what God did. They had buried treasure to spend. I mean, these guys were full of joy. That is the typical response when someone meets Jesus for the first time. If you look in his ministry, when he would meet people, when he would heal them, he healed lepers in the New Testament, that the response, there's one guy in Mark who Jesus says to him, you're healed, go show the priest at the temple, go back to your regular life, but listen, don't, can you just not tell anyone about me right now? Because I'm not, I'm not ready for that yet. My time has not yet come. What does the guy do? He goes and tells everyone. He's like, this guy healed me over there. There he is, that guy right there. He's like, I just told you why he couldn't help it. He was so excited. That's what happens. You see that over and over again. When people are healed, they just go and they can't, they tell everyone because they actually have joy for the first time in their life. It's natural. It's right for us as Christians to feel that kind of joy. And it had happened in the story that the other people that the the lepers told experienced that joy. Now, uh, if you read through the text, we don't have time to read all of it, but there was some skepticism. When they went and told the king, the king at first was like, well, this, this sounds like a trap. I mean, those Syrians, they got to be over the hill. They're just going to come and wipe us out. So he sends uh, sort of an advance guard. They check out the camp and they follow the trail. You can just imagine the Syrians running, right? They're scared. They're dropping things behind. They follow the trail all the way to the Red Sea. By that point, they figure, I I think they're gone. So they come back, tell the, the king, the doors of the city open. And this is the scene, verse 16. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians so a sea of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel according to the word of the Lord. What that means is that food prices dropped. All of a sudden, you could buy all sorts of good food for nothing because there was so much of it. It's meant to evoke a scene of feasting, celebrating, joy in the streets, people high-fiving, whatever it is they did back then. They were very, very excited. The joy that the lepers felt, they knew that if the people could come out of the city, they would have that same joy. They were convinced of it. I think part of the reason we hesitate to share the good news we have is because we've forgotten that joy. We we haven't spent time reminding ourselves of the, the real abundance, the blessing and joy we have in Christ. If the joy is at the forefront of our mind, meaning if, if we're in the word, if we're in prayer, if we're reminding ourselves, look at the look at the depth of God's love for me. Look at the lengths he went to to make sure that I would be safe. Look at his promise to me that each and every day, no matter what happens, he's for me, he's with me. As we cultivate our own joy, it'll be much easier to share it with others, knowing that whatever whatever happiness, whatever sense of contentment they feel, it's fleeting. And that the only true joy is a joy that lasts for all of eternity. So we need joy. We need to cultivate it in our own lives so that we would be ready to share. The second thing, though, uh, was urgency. And urgency we also see here in our text. Uh, the four lepers, they, they knew that they, were the, they had the only hope. I mean, they knew that, 
the city, the people there, hour after hour were dying of starvation. They had no hope that they were in utter despair. They were committing acts of wickedness against each other. There was a clear, urgent need for those people. If you notice in the text, they said, we can't even wait until morning. Like, it's the middle of the night, but we're going to go and pound on the city gates because people need to hear right now. We can't wait. That sense of urgency exists for the gospel as well. People around us, people in our world, are literally dying to hear the news of the gospel. And I'll give you two stories to illustrate this. One is from uh, the original first missionary to, to China, Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor made his way to China hundreds of years ago at a time uh, when it was very difficult to get there, when it was very difficult to connect with a culture that was, that was foreign to him. Obviously, they'd never heard the gospel. He spent a lot of time and a lot of work, and not many people came to faith, but there were a few. One of them was a man who uh, studied Confucianism, Buddhism. He'd been searching for the truth, and when he heard the gospel, he came to faith. And he said to Hudson Taylor, he said, how long have the people of England known about this truth? And Hudson Taylor said, well, you know, hundreds of years. And here was the man's response. The man said, what? What? For hundreds of years, you've known this, and you've only come to preach it now? He said, my father sought after truth for more than 20 years and he died without finding it. Oh, why did you not come sooner? That stuck with Hudson Taylor, haunted him. Something similar happened um, for me. I came to Christ at Willingdon Church in Burnaby. Uh, went there for a while, was on staff there for some time and near the church was like a little strip mall. There's a 7-Eleven and a coffee shop. And in the coffee shop, we'd go there all the time. Like after, after Sunday services, it'd be, t- it'd be filled with people from the church throughout the week. And at some point, uh, someone shared with a woman who worked there the gospel, and she came to faith. And we were all really excited. But what she said right away, she said, I've been working here for two years. There's been people from the church in here almost every day. Why has no one shared this with me before? See, a lot of the times we think to ourselves, no one really wants to hear the good news. But the truth of the matter is that there are so many people that God has already appointed that they would come to faith. They're waiting. They're waiting for the good news to be shared. That, that it's urgent that they would know the truth, that it would set them free, that they would experience the joy that we have. There is nothing more urgent than this. We've got a lot of things on our lips right now. A lot, a lot of things that we want to talk to each other about. There's nothing more urgent, nothing more important than finding a way just to share some of what God has done in our lives. In fact, I think the question we should be asking ourselves is, for those of you who are part of Tri-City Church, who are we? Who are we as a church if we're not sharing regularly about the hope we have in Christ? I want to do something this morning that can help us with this. Because again, my sense is that we not only know this, this is our heart, that we want to do this, but taking practical steps for this is difficult. So here's what we're going to do just as we, uh, as we begin to wrap up. I'm going to ask you in a moment to do something a little bit uh, scary. I'm going to read a statement, and if you agree with it, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Here's a couple of reasons why we're doing this. Um, the first reason is because one of the challenges to sharing our faith is that it requires us to cross a threshold of fear, a step of faith. Meaning, I don't know about you, there's been definitely times in my life where I've been with someone, I've been in a conversation, I've had this sense, I think the Holy Spirit saying, you know, you should, probably, you should probably talk to them about what you believe. You should ask them if they need prayer. And I always come up to that line, and it, on the other side of that line, I don't know what's there. 
Meaning, once I start to talk about that, I don't know how they're going to react. I'm not sure what I'm going to say. It's, it's scary. And so there's many times when I find a way to, to, to not go over the line. I, I let the moment pass. The conversation moves on to other things. And I never actually have that conversation. We need to get used to crossing that line. We need to get used to, to making steps of faith, putting ourselves in uncomfortable, difficult situations that we know God is leading us to, not, not bullying our way through, not being belligerent, but just simply responding to the Spirit of God and maybe asking people, look, I've, man, I can see you're down. Would you mind if I prayed for you? Could I share with you a bit about what I believe? We've got to cross that threshold of, of fear. That's the one reason. Just putting your hand up in front of a bunch of people, that's a bit scary. We're going to do that in a second. Secondly, I want us to see that we're not alone in this. That this is, this is our, the thing we're doing together as a church, as a Christians. We've been called together in this. It's good to see that we are not alone. Now, there are flaws with this plan I have. For one thing, uh, you may be here as a guest, and you're like, this is really weird. Do we do this every Sunday? We actually don't. Okay, that's weird. Uh, you may be someone who shares the gospel all the time, and you're like, I'm not sure. Am I, are we repenting? Do I raise my hand? Maybe you had shoulder surgery, and you're not sure. I can't really raise my hand, but I want to. Look, it's flawed. I get it. But this is so important that I want for us to have something we're doing together. So we're going to do it anyway. I'm going to read this. It's kind of a prayer. If you believe this, just, just raise your hand. Here's what it says. Jesus, I confess, I haven't shared the good news that you've given me faithfully, but I know the need is urgent. Please, Lord, help me to be faithful in prayer. Help me to be faithful in sharing the gospel. Help me to be full of joy and willing to step out in faith so that others can be known to you. If, if this is your heart, I just ask you to raise your hand. And just look around. Praise God. Thank you. You can put it down. Whew. Okay, three things. Three things that you can do from this. Number one, some of you are going to need to go and talk to George in the lobby. Some of you have been feeling a call to missions work. You've been wondering about it. You're wondering if it's, if it's God. Go and talk to him. Support him, yes, but ask him, what's it like to be a missionary? I think this might be what God is calling you to. Talk to him. Talk to me. We have funds set aside for missions in the church. We would love to support missionaries from within our church to go and to tell people who don't know the good news of God about it. So that's, that's number one. Number two, this uh, fall, we're going to have some evangelism training. Part of the challenge with this is that a lot of us just aren't practiced at sharing our faith. We're not sure how to explain the gospel. We're not sure how to respond to questions. We're going to come together with those who do it a lot. I know there are some of you who are sharing faithfully. Praise God for that. We want you to help us to know how to do that well. So keep your eye out for that. It's going to come up in about a month. But thirdly, most importantly, all of us, if this is your heart, you can start. You need to start by praying. Prayer is the fuel of evangelism. Prayer is the way that we get our hearts in the right mindset each morning where we can say, Lord, today is another day where I have an opportunity to glorify your name. Would you help me to see the opportunities that are there? I'm not talking about going through your Rolodex and just calling everyone cold calling and just telling them, I got to tell you something, gospel, 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 gospel. Maybe God's calling you to that. Probably, probably there's some people in your life that you already know that you need to be praying more for. Probably there are opportunities that you've brushed past because you haven't really been in tune with what the Spirit is leading you to. Those are the kind of opportunities we're looking for. Not that you would be offensive or rude, but that you would just, you would look and really love people and see if you can reach them with the hope that you have. So let me pray for us, and then we'll end our time. Lord Jesus, I do thank you that, that you've brought us good news. I thank you that you didn't leave us on our own, in our own sin, uh, hopeless, angry, far from you. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that in your grace, in your mercy, you came and you did everything necessary for us to have hope again. 
I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be a people of good news. I pray for us as a church, for those who are Christians here, uh, that we would be excited about that, that we would feel a sense of conviction and hopefulness, that you will use us, that we will have the, the joy of seeing others come to faith as we follow you. I pray for those who are here this morning and, and wouldn't claim that they have faith. I pray that this would have been helpful. I pray that you would move in their hearts to see that there is, there is real bad news when it comes to sin. But you have brought the best news of all, and I pray that they would come to faith. Thank you. Thank you again for this chance to worship together and to hear from you. I pray for your blessing on us. In Jesus' name, amen.